So today we are continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be talking through a story that's recorded in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So if you have a Bible with you or have a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and navigate to Mark 6 now. We'll also have the passage on the screens. Our story, beginning in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, reads this way. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So Mark begins by telling us that Jesus left there and went to his hometown. Jesus' hometown is Nazareth. It's a tiny, remote village. At most, 500 people lived there. It's under-resourced. It's inconsequential. It wasn't mentioned once in the Old Testament or in the rabbinic literature of the time. It wasn't even large enough to make it onto a map. In verse 2, Mark tells us, When the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, there's a story recorded of Jesus teaching in a synagogue where the people who hear Jesus are also amazed. That story is recorded in Mark 1. This is how it starts. They, this is Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And then the story ends this way. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the region. Here, in Mark 1, Jesus enters a synagogue on the Sabbath and begins teaching, and we're told that the people are so amazed that when they leave the synagogue after hearing Jesus teach with authority, they leave the synagogue and spread the news about Jesus all over the region. In our story Today, in Mark 6, Jesus enters a synagogue on the Sabbath and begins teaching. And we're told that the people are, just like in Capernaum, amazed. But it becomes obvious pretty quickly that they're not amazed in the same way the people were amazed in Capernaum. In verse 3, Mark goes on to record the reaction of the townspeople. He writes, Where did this man get these things? they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? 
Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, John, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You can almost tell just by the language that they're annoyed, can't you? Where did this man get these things? Isn't this the carpenter? I mean, this is a patriarchal society. Respectfully, they should have said, isn't this Joseph's son? But instead, they said, isn't this Mary's son? And then Mark tells us that the crowd in Jesus' hometown took offense at him. And in the original Greek, that word offense means a stumbling block or impediment in a person's way, causing them to trip and fall. In Capernaum, Jesus' ministry produces awe. It produces wonder. It catalyzes people's faith. And it leads to news about Jesus spreading all over the region. In Nazareth, though, Jesus' ministry places a stumbling block before people, that causes people to distrust and abandon him. It produces anger, and it leads to people trying to kill him. Seriously. In Luke's telling of this very same story, Luke says that the people in the synagogue were so furious with Jesus that they drove him out of town to the top of a cliff and tried to throw him off of it. Now, I want to take a moment and just sit with this. Jesus grew up in a particular place, Nazareth. He attended a synagogue or church. He was taught about God's ways and character by people who he attended synagogue with. And now, that place, and those people, and that church, reject him. Over the past year and a half, I've had the privilege of sitting across a table from so many of you. You've had coffee or lunch. You've come over to Julia's and my house, and we've had dinner together. And you've shared your stories. And many of your stories include being rejected by the churches that you belonged to for years, churches that you served in, gave to, supported with your time, I've listened to you share the painful stories of the people who taught you about Jesus, now questioning your faith and salvation. Because even though you still believe all of life is sacred and that life starts in the womb, you've since started to think differently about the best ways to love your vulnerable neighbors, value the lives of women, and address issues like abortion. Or because even though you still believe every person has the right to self-determination, it might be worth considering limits on things that we possess, things like firearms, things that we can own because of the violence, destruction, pain, and trauma, things like firearms in particular can cause. Or because even though you believe a Christian should have the right to pray on the 50-yard line of a football field, 
You've also come to believe that religious freedom isn't really religious freedom until it applies equally to everyone everywhere. Until you can imagine a world where a Muslim football coach could have had his case upheld by the Supreme Court. Or because you've come to believe that racism is still embedded in some of our cultures and society systems, structures, and institutions. Or because you've learned new ways of reading and understanding the Bible that casts a wider, more inclusive net and that makes space for your LGBTQ neighbors, coworkers, and friends to belong in the church. Or because you see the ways that God's heart is bent towards not just pursuing righteousness, but also doing the work of justice. Many of us, including me, have experienced rejection at the hands of the people we grew up with, from churches we loved, and people who taught us about Jesus. Many of us, including me, have been told in varying ways that we can't be true followers of Jesus and believe some of the things we believe. For those of you who have experienced this kind of pain and rejection, I am so sorry. In Jesus, we have a Savior who knows this kind of pain personally. And as we work through these challenging experiences, we can draw near to Jesus confidently, knowing that in him we have a high priest who sees us and hears us and sympathizes with us and offers comfort and peace to us. Now, if we go back to Mark chapter 6, the story ends with Mark writing, he, Jesus, was amazed at their lack of faith. He wasn't amazed by their brokenness, wasn't amazed by their sinfulness or even their desire to do evil. He was amazed by the hardness of their hearts and their unwillingness to believe in him. Church, familiarity with Jesus isn't enough to produce faith in Jesus, and it certainly isn't enough to produce transformation in us or in our culture. Recently, I watched a video of a talk that Kara Lawson, she's the head coach of the Duke women's basketball team, a talk that she gave to her team. And in that talk, she said this to them. One of the things we talked about was how we all wait in life for things to get easier. Think in your own life. If you've waited for something to get easier, it's what we do. We wait for stuff to get easier. It will never get easier. What happens is you handle hard better. That's what happens. Most people think it's going to get easier. It never gets easier. What happens is you become someone who handles hard stuff better. I think there's wisdom in these words for all of us, especially in this current cultural moment. We've all seen the recent Supreme Court decisions, and we've heard about some of the legislation that's being implemented in states across the country. And even though there seems to be a faction of conservative Christians who believe most or all of these legislative actions and Supreme Court decisions will make it easier to be a Christian in America, I think it'll only be harder 
for us to be Christians in America. I mean, maybe it'll be easier for people who are just familiar with Jesus, who practice a cultural kind of Christian religion. But I think it's going to get harder for Christians who truly seek to follow Jesus. John the Baptist, when he saw a large group of Jewish religious leaders coming to him to be baptized in the Jordan, he said this to them, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Church, that is our mission in this cultural moment. To be a people who produce fruit in keeping with repentance. But how do we learn to do this? How do we learn to produce this kind of fruit? The key, I think, was actually in a sermon I taught a few weeks ago on the parable of the sower. In that story, a crowd gathered around Jesus that was so large, he had to get into a boat and push out from shore to teach the crowd. And if you remember, he taught the crowd in parables. When he was done teaching, the crowd went home. But the disciples stayed, and they asked Jesus what the parables meant. And he taught them what the parables meant. And in teaching them, he said, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret of the kingdom of God is not given to the crowds. It's given to the people who stay, to the people who draw close to Jesus, to the people who never assume that they already know everything they need to know, to the people who never settle into a kind of spiritual certainty but remain humble and curious knowing there's always something more and new and different about Jesus in the kingdom to discover and learn. Church, this is a moment where we need to be a people who learn to handle hard better. We need to move beyond the crowds who were only familiar with Jesus and become disciples who follow Jesus. So then, how do we become disciples of Jesus who handle hard better? And to work through this, I'm going to rely on work and writing done by pastor and author John Mark Comer. The first thing I think we need to do is attune our hearts and minds to Jesus. If you think back through the week and all that filled your mind, how much were you considering the words and ways of Jesus? How often did you filter the things you were thinking and processing through the lens of Jesus' kingdom and his heart? Dallas Willard, in his book, The Great Omission, he writes this, The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. Our part is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. 
A new, grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, He will become the pole star of our inward beings. In essence, this is the work of walking in step with the Spirit. We need to cultivate a sense of awareness of the Spirit's active presence and work in and through our lives. Second, we learn Jesus' teachings. So many of us have been taught to primarily and I think almost exclusively think about Jesus as our Savior. We think of him as the one who came and dwelled among us, lived a perfect life, died an unjust death, and then rose from the dead, all so that my past, present, and future sins can be forgiven and I can go to heaven when I die. But what if we allow Jesus to be more in our lives than just our Savior? What if we thought about him as the one person more than anyone else that we need to learn from in order to live well in our culture today. That instead of Rachel Maddow or Chris Hayes or Tucker Carlson, what if we thought about Jesus as the one person more than anyone else that we need to sit with for an hour every day and learn from? We believe that Jesus is the fullness of God revealed, that if we want to know what God is like, how God desires for us to live and love him and our neighbors, we need to look primarily to Jesus. I'll ask another question then. Did you read your Bible this week? And if so, what did you read? Now, if you weren't reading one of the four Gospels, can I make a gentle suggestion? Consider pausing where you're reading and devoting yourself for a season to the reading and studying of the Gospels. Right now in our country, I think we need Christians who live and love like Jesus more than we need Christians who can articulate Paul's theology of justification by faith alone. So first, we attune our hearts to Jesus, and second, we learn Jesus' teachings. Third, we become like Jesus. This means that we do the work of taking on his ways and character, that our character and our hearts become like Jesus' heart and character, that we're not racked with greed or lust, that we're unhurried, and present to the people in front of us. That we're not addicted to digital technology. That if we have children, they don't have to compete with our phones for our attention. That we're not controlled by fear. That our lives are marked by peace. We become like Jesus as we spend time with him and as we learn his teachings and by bringing ourselves into submission to him. We recognize that we don't live as autonomous beings in the world, that we're dependent on Jesus, that he is the vine and we are the branches and our life is derived only through 
his. And then fourth, we live Jesus' kingdom mission for the world. If we spend time in the Gospels, we'll begin to see some consistent rhythms, some consistent practices of social and religious engagement that guide Jesus' life. In essence, there's consistency to the way in which Jesus lives out his own kingdom mission in the world, and then we should seek to emulate or imitate it. Here are just a few of the ways Jesus lived out his mission. He communicated the gospel. Everywhere he goes, he communicates the hope of the gospel. Two, he taught people the Bible of his day. Three, he prayed. Four, he made people whole. I'm not sure why I'm counting these, I'm sorry. He freed people from the oppression of evil powers and principalities. He engaged in the work of social justice. He ate and drank with people, with the tax collectors and sinners of his day. He fought pride and hypocrisy within the religious establishment of his day. And he spoke truth to political power. So then, for us to be a people who in this current cultural moment learn to handle hard better, we need to be a people who take seriously what it means that we are disciples of Jesus. And we do that by attuning our hearts to Jesus, learning from Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then living Jesus' kingdom mission. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to be a follower and not just someone who is familiar with Jesus, not just someone who is comfortable inhabiting the crowd, but someone who wants to move forward and get near to Jesus. I think this is how we posture ourselves to handle hard better. We're supposed to be ambassadors of God's kingdom in our homes and workplaces and communities and church. It doesn't take much time looking at our culture or world right now to understand that things are not getting easier. And familiarity with Jesus isn't enough to produce the kind of transformation we need or the kind of renewal our culture needs. Our neighbors and neighborhoods need us to move out of the crowds and draw near to Jesus so we can become true disciples of Jesus for the well-being and flourishing of our community, city, country, and world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that they're recorded in the Bible that we can have the opportunity to sit with them and talk through them and wrestle with them and try to make sense of them. Would you give us humble and soft hearts that where there are things that we might not be familiar with, things we might not understand, things that maybe even make us feel uncomfortable, we wouldn't just run from them or reject them, but we would lean into them, that we would bring them to you, that we might even bring them into our neighborhood groups and that we would talk through those things with other people. Father, teach us, teach us, Father, to be like Jesus. 
We know we'll make mistakes. We know we'll get things wrong. But Father, might we be people whose lives are marked by great love for others? We pray this in your son's good and holy and precious name. Amen.